0: Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that promises to be a jury of your peers, dear listener. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined, as always, by the foremost person of our jury of uh, intense streaming scrutiny, Diane Nora. How are you doing, Diane?
1: I'm doing so well. How are you?
0: I- I'm doing excellent. Do you accept the burden of being the foreperson of our of our show?
1: I do, if it happens to be a very silly, low-stakes trial.
0: Oh, oh, the best kind, always. And that happens to be the kind of trial that we are watching on jury duty. It happens to be a show on Freevee, Amazon's Freevee, which is a free ad-supported streamer, also known as a fast channel revolutionary new concept where they put ads on free television Uh, and this is a freebie original it's kind of a comedy it's kind of a prank show uh it reminds me a little bit of nathan for you uh but with james marsden playing james marsden playing james marsden it's so meta i i'm uh struggling for the words to tell you perhaps we found some objections and some perhaps things worth sustaining as we watched jury duty and we summon you to join us later in the episode, where we will discuss freebie, jury duty, and and so much more about advertising on our streaming shows. Uh, Diane, are you already sick of my jury puns? I got them all out of the way.
1: Oh wow! Oh no, you need a few more. All right, by the time we review, you, please, please have I'll those work on it. at the bench. I don't
0: have these.
1: I don't have these.
0: I take your note, though. I take your note, and Council will uh, consider it and come back to you with our verdict a little later. But first, before we discuss all of those things and so much more, I want to do a little bit of follow-up on our favorite topic in the movie universe, the Super Mario Brothers movie, which has surprise dropped on Video On Demand. That would be like Amazon to buy or rent, uh, after we thought it was delayed. But no surprise, here it is now, uh, still not available to stream, but if you would like to spend 20 $25 to rent it.
1: Woohoo! If you're watching as a so- single person, that probably is about the same as what you'd pay at the movies, maybe even a little more. But if you're watching as a family, that could be a significant discount.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just imagine they have some kind of Excel chart open that tells them the ideal moment to flip the switch on Video On Demand in order to continue the cash cow that is the Super Mario Bros. movie Juggernaut. Uh, I I did want to uh, talk about the video game uh, element of IP for a second, because Nintendo suddenly is like the king of IP with the success of the Super Mario Bros. movie, and this past weekend was also the release of the new Legend of Zelda game on the Nintendo Switch, which has been uh, in development for six-plus years at this point, so a lot of pent-up demand. It sold, uh, according to The Verge and many other uh, newsworthy sources, 10 million copies at a suggested retail of $70 a copy in its first three days. So if you imagine that like an opening box office for a movie, that is a $700 million opening weekend. And for context, no movie has ever had a $700 million opening weekend. The closest would be Avengers Endgame with a $357 million opening weekend. That is about half.
1: Wow. I mean, talk about global interest.
0: Yeah, they, uh, only I think 4 million of the 10 million was North America. So that that's a huge global hit. And of course, in the streaming universe as well, global is the new area of growth. So that that kind of jives in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I want to compare this to just uh, two other numbers on uh, video game sales and just how big this IP universe is just how much market potential and how much profit potential is there. Uh, the last Zelda game which came out 6 years ago, Breath of the Wild, has sold 30 million copies in about 6 years and uh, you know obviously not all of them at full price, but the many of them at full price and Nintendo sells many of those directly through their eShop so even no cost on shipping or manufacturing at that point. So there's a high profit margin on on some of these sales that you know if you imagine average 60 Uh, dollars a pop for 30 million copies that is 1.8 billion dollars and even again if many of them were discounted that's over a billion dollars easily uh, and then Mario Kart 8, the top-selling Nintendo Switch game of all time, has sold over 53 million copies. That's at least 3 billion if they're selling at their their full price, typically. And again, they may not. In fact, they perhaps often aren't uh, once they've been out for five or six years. But still, you know, the profit margin is a lot higher when you own the IP, you own the console. There is no box office to split with. Uh, so you can see how there's a lot of upside for that that IP.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This also, I think, is interesting to think about the value in delaying until you have the product just right. Taking six years to develop something instead of just rushing, you know, maybe as an example, uh, three Star Wars shows to your streaming service in one year, Uh, you know,
0: what a crazy thought. We are actually going to talk about uh, Disney's Marvel slowdown a little later in the episode. It's so what a timely thought. You know, on the list of uh, top grossing box office films of all time, it would not surprise you to learn they're almost all Star Warses and Marvelses. And then uh, there's a Jurassic World in there.
1: That one does surprise me a bit. i got to wow. say,
0: me too. Me too. <laughs> but with inflation and things, Jurassic World's pretty recent. I can see how it got up there. Nevertheless, so much money to be had. Uh, but who will get that money? That is perhaps a great transition to talk about the latest news in the writer's strike.
1: Writer's strike.
0: Seamless. Seamless. And uh, I want to start by talking about what we're learning about our bleak future as consumers, ...of streaming media and TV. Uh, Again, we are fully in support of the Writers Guild and their uh, negotiations right now, uh, and perhaps other guilds joining them soon. But as consumers, this is the beginning of what could be kind of a dark time, unless you're a huge fan of the Bachelor franchise, in which case I have great news for you. Uh, But starting with what we learned about ABC's quote-unquote strike-proof fall lineup, that's from a headline in The Hollywood Reporter, Uh, Diane How many hours of scripted programming do you think we're going to get in ABC's fall lineup?
1: Uh, 1.5 out of the whole lineup.
0: Roughly. uh, What we are getting, this is really exciting, an hour of Abbott Elementary reruns every Wednesday. End of list. That's it. Have a great day, everybody. What is this wonderful world of Disney? Yeah, okay. So the other thing is Sunday nights is going to be a Wonderful World of Disney movie night, which as a 90s kid, uh the nostalgia is flowing and I have no desire to watch any of the quality of movies I vaguely recall being the Wonderful World of Disney movie night. But that is their other so un, you know, so-called scripted entry in the lineup. I I I struggle to acknowledge that as a real scripted entry in the television schedule.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's Sunday night. So, yeah. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hey, but what is there? What is there? I'm so glad you asked because it happens to be a whole lot of game shows and bachelor spinoffs. Do do you want to watch Celebrity Wheel of Fortune? How about Celebrity Jeopardy? How about the $100,000 Pyramid, which is a game show featuring, you guessed it, celebrities?
1: The thing about all those shows is whether or not they have WGA writers, they definitely have writers working on that. Someone has to develop this content, even when it is something that we consider unscripted. Uh, There, there is writing involved. And those writers also deserve to be compensated fairly for their work. So uh, I'm not, I think I, I take issue with this strike proof lineup.
0: Well, you know, uh, so does the Celebrity Jeopardy host herself, Mayim Bialik. Uh, they're mm-hmm. wrapping up the, the current season of Celebrity Jeopardy, and she stepped out uh, about a week, I think, before the end of the season. And Ken Jennings, uh, who hosts non-celebrity normal schlub Jeopardy, has stepped in to to finish the season. But she specifically stepped out because she's in solidarity with the Writers Guild. So uh, when Celebrity Jeopardy comes back in the fall, will she come back with it if the the strike persists? Unclear? I would also point out that um, this schedule will probably persist even if the strike ends soon. I imagine the top priority at, at ABC would be uh, get Abbott Elementary filming again. But honestly, mm-hmm. they could probably wait until mid-season to bring back anything else.
1: Right. I, I think even if they did get Abbott up up and running again, that still could be a, a mid-season rollout. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see. No scab could ever replace Trebek.
0: So true. Uh oh. But, you know, uh, there are some other shows on ABC you could watch, like Bachelor in Paradise, very popular, not surprising to see it there. But how about The Golden Bachelor, which is an aged-up version of The Bachelor that, honestly, I could see checking out,
1: yeah. Sounds really charming.
0: Yeah, I gotta say. I gotta say. Maybe the best Bachelor spinoff I've ever heard of. So maybe it's not all bad, but it is not all good either. Uh, We're not going to go through every network, but it is Upfront's season right now where the networks are presenting their fall lineups, whatever zombie lineups they happen to be this time around. Uh, I noticed the CW, their lineup is also extremely light on scripted content. That's not surprising because the CW is uh, under new ownership and they are reducing their original content in general but they literally have gone down to one original show returning the rest of their original lineup they've just said we're not deciding right now no thank you uh, and that one original show is only returning pending the writer's strike ending so they're really not bringing it back in the fall they're just the little like asterisks on that was so cute uh, they however in addition to unscripted programming like abc is uh just buying a lot of international content Which is part of their their new ownership strategy. But I did think it's worth pointing out, like, yeah, the WGA is a total stoppage in Hollywood for uh, written content, not in Paris, not in London. Obviously, you might have WGA writers involved, and they're not going to cross the picket line. But there is still content being made overseas, and that can be licensed for the U.S.,
1: I also think it will be interesting to see how advertisers respond to this after this round of upfronts. I could see a situation in which if, these, if the strike ends in the next couple of months, there end up being a new round of upfronts uh, yeah. to try and sell more of this advertising space. Because if I were planning where to put my dollars, I don't know if Golden Bachelor would be enough to sell me.
0: Yeah, or certainly if you're ABC's ad sales team, you're you're going to want another crack at it when you have mm-hmm. a, a lineup that includes Abbott Elementary is back, and it's the lead in for another sitcom, and and also our scripted dramas, Greys, and da da da. Yeah, you'd want another crack. Right. Greys and da da da. The ABC scripted drama lineup. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, there's more news about the strike going on Uh, over on NBC. The first kind of big shoe to drop in the late night uh, staffing situation, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, has put all of their non-writing staff on unpaid leave sooner, I think, than anyone expected because Seth Meyers and uh, Colbert are still paying their staffs. Uh, I imagine some folks at CBS are really thrilled that uh, Corden's show already ended because they just, I imagine, let all those people go because they're not continuing that show. Uh, but you, th- there is a real question of how long will who pay because in, in some cases it's the hosts who are paying some of the staff or chipping in so that the network will continue to pay some of the staff. A- and if this goes on for months, uh, you know, that's an uh, an open question of how long that will continue.
1: I know there had been a push at CBS2 to get their replacement show at midnight, the At Midnight reboot staffed with writers. Um, So they may just now have more time to be evaluating packets. But I'm sure that if they do choose people, they they would have wanted this process to start sooner than it will. So even CBS is going to feel a squeeze here.
0: True, true. But but on the other hand, you know, I I imagine they're not paying any of the non writing staff from the late show anymore. Uh, And, and, you know, that that show ended. So that actually just is the nature of the industry in some ways. Uh, But it is a a different question for the you know again the non-writing staff the people who work the technical side of the rest of the late night shows
1: right and a lot of the a lot of time those people are paid right out of the host pocket um yeah so i think that we'll see and we already are seeing if you look on social media some personal blowback for hosts like jimmy fallon uh and anyone who opts to go that way
0: yeah, tr- tricky situation. I also noted today somebody sent me an Instagram reel from The Daily Show, and I realized the uh, social media staff at like The Daily Show—they're not WGA—and so they're still producing content through their social media channels that features like none of the hosts, none of the correspondents. It's just video clips strung together, uh, and and there is the, there is a, a you know an essence of the Daily Show humor in it, and that is like a lot of the social content they already post, but it did strike me of like, right, if there there are parts of the these shows that are continuing to work in a very limited capacity. And what an odd scenario that must be.
1: Truly odd. Um, and it's also hard. It's just hard to know because no one knows when this will end. Yeah. So do they have to fill social media without new content for a month, three months? You know, it's that that strategy would be really based on your timeline and they don't have one.
0: Yeah. And and that timeline, again, could be up in the air because uh, our next piece of strike related news, I uh, got to see the letter that uh, the SAG president, Fran Drescher. Uh, you probably know Fran Drescher. She is uh, the national executive—I'm sorry, no, she is the president and chair of SAG. That's SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild. Uh, and they are asking officially for members of SAG-AFTRA to give them authorization for a strike. That is not the same thing as going on strike, but that is the official word that they're heading into negotiations, which start in early June, with a, a, an intention to play hardball.
1: Yeah, uh, we, we will see what happens here. We have the potential of an industry-wide strike. Um, DGA contracts, the Directors Guild are coming up soon too. So it's uh, anyone's guess what this could look like over the summer.
0: Agreed. And I, I would just call out uh, one line from Fran Drescher's letter that I thought was uh, just a, a, an interesting sense of where we're at. She said, quote, the business model of our industry has changed significantly. We have entered a fully digital and streaming entertainment industry, and that demands a contract that is relevant to this new business model. And And that is the nugget that is at the heart of the Writers Guild negotiations as well. The details are different, but the main issue that is causing a, a lot of heartburn in Hollywood is the same.
1: I can't believe this is happening. I knew it might happen. I felt certain it would happen with the writers, but this could be just major work stoppages.
0: Yeah, how can you have the Celebrity Jeopardy, uh, Wheel of Fortune, Family Feud, Pyramid, Power Hour on ABC when all of the celebrities you need are SAG-AFTRA members?
1: you, You cannot...
0: Well, you can just air reruns of those then. And honestly, who can tell apart a rerun of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune from a new episode of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune?
1: Probably not me. Not me
0: either, so it'll be a fun fall. uh, But it will be light on scripted content. Thankfully, you can find a lot of scripted content elsewhere, perhaps on Disney+. Plus. Still ominous. But you know, uh, there was a lot of Disney news. Uh, In particular, Disney had their uh, earnings results, which we'll touch on a little bit, and their upfronts. Uh, And the big news is that Disney likes Hulu again, and I'm just so happy that our beloved Hulu is still alive. For now. I'm not convinced it's fully out of the woods yet, so we're going to keep that part of the sound effect. But, but, Bob Iger now likes the idea of the general entertainment provided by Hulu and is pitching a new Disney plus Hulu plus itself bundle, which will be different than the existing one because it'll be in the same app. Whoa.
1: See, what's curious to me about this regards a comment you said earlier about the push to international. To me, this looks like a push more for you can. We love Hulu again.
0: Well, it's, it's also the thing they're already doing international. We do love Hulu again. But it's, the content people love overseas, it's in the Disney Plus app. So it's both what they right. were already doing and... Uh, something more specific for the U.S. market, I guess. But like the, the, the big message here was you don't have to buy this combined service. And this to me was a straight up David Zaslov Max Discovery uh, playbook moment where Bob Iger goes, listen, we would love to offer you this single app with all this great content in it. And we know some people will want that. However, we also want you to know you can still just buy Hulu by itself if you hate Disney stuff. If you are a single, childless, joyless individual uh who will never engage with the Disney Empire, God bless and good for you. You don't have to buy Disney Plus, you can still just buy Hulu, which is not true if you live in like France. There it's all in Disney Plus.
1: Uh, I'm relieved that Hulu seems like it may be in a good position. At the same time, I hope it has some scripted content to Put on Hulu I mean I, sure
0: yeah they have some scripted content still that's Hulu original the the new season of the bear is coming which is technically an FX show but they've kind of subsumed all that branding and now it's just sort of a Hulu show uh the only murders in the building at our Disney upfronts, we got the release date for season three that's coming uh Tuesday August 8th on Hulu uh, so there, there is more content coming to Hulu. But I, I also think part of this strategy is an acknowledgement that Hulu by itself doesn't have a lot of originals to attract new subscribers anymore. What it does have mm-hmm. is a really solid back catalog and next day ABC programming. Uh, and a mix still of ABC and NBC stuff because Comcast is still a, a minority investor there. So yeah, Hulu has a, a great library. They don't have a ton of buzzy originals anymore. And Disney sort of has the opposite problem with Disney+. Plus. If you, you know, don't care about re-watching Disney movies, which, you know, is a huge market for kids and families but for most adults you're not rewatching the same Disney movies over and over again so then you're looking at well what's new on Disney Plus Plus? and they have a lot of buzzy originals but there's also some fatigue around some of those franchises and at a certain point uh, there's no back catalog to go to if you're not interested in the next new Star Wars show so they go well Hulu has the back catalog Disney has the buzzy originals why don't we try to convince people that there's one great app called Disney Plus with a Hulu tile, I guess, uh, that has all the things, which is basically the pitch for Max as well. We have the Buzzy Originals from HBO, but we also have this Comfort Food back catalog from Discovery.
1: We'll see next, mu- next week for Max how that works out for them, right. uh, launching very soon. And then shortly after that, we'll see this new Disney hybrid.
0: Yeah, no timetable on that yet. They just promised it.
1: I am curious how much people are going to be willing to spend on these behemoths and if anyone will start winnowing down their catalogs and just say, I I actually don't need to have Netflix and Disney Plus and Max. I could just have, you know, maybe Netflix and Hulu and I'm fine.
0: Yeah, and and I feel like Disney is kind of leaving the door open for both directions. The big change that that we are celebrating is uh, a real change in tone from Bob Iger, who a few months ago was at least hinting that he might let uh, Comcast try to buy Hulu uh, out. And one or the other will probably happen. Either Disney will buy Comcast out or Comcast will somehow buy Disney out. But Disney owns more of Hulu than Comcast does. And Disney has more money on hand than Comcast does. So it it makes a lot of sense that Disney was going to be the ultimate owner, inheritor of Hulu. But when Bob Iger took over again, he threw a lot of doubt on that, kind of out of the blue in a way that had, I think, really savvy industry people suddenly thinking Hulu was up for grabs. And uh, that now does not seem to be remotely part of the conversation that, that really, I think people uh, went very far afield in, in uh, interpreting the kind of offhand comments of Bob Iger. And he is now here to say, well, you know, I was leaving all possibilities open, because of course, I'll leave all possibilities open. But I was obviously we like Hulu, and we have that content, we already own it. Even if they sold Hulu, they own Only Murders in the Building. Like They're like, we own the content, so why wouldn't we keep the brand where it's relevant?
1: That makes a lot of sense. I do think there's still a possibility that this could shift or that this could be a strategy for Iger in terms of how much Hulu gets sold for, even if, uh, you know, it remains part of it. Comcast has also expressed interest in buying it, we know, so... Uh, we'll see. I'm just like not sure that Bob Iger doesn't have a few more things up his sleeve here.
0: I I, I wonder, you know, uh, Bob Iger is always playing three dimensional chess while we all watch from the sidelines that that is his M.O. in some ways and why he's back in, in the reins. Uh, but there's also been this undercurrent of he created the streaming uh, model at Disney that is now not uh, panning out the way he initially pitched it. And it just so happens that most people are blaming Bob Chapek because he was in charge during the, you know, kind of shift in, in uh, trajectory. But now that Iger's back, a lot of people are going, well, does he have a solution for this problem he created? Uh, and uh, he's savvy in not committing one to one thing yet. But also, I think that hints that he doesn't. Right. And speaking of that, that very topic, they lost like 3 million subscribers in their most recent quarter on Disney+, Plus, which was not what Wall Street expected. They expected a, a million subscribers in growth. That is 4 million difference. Uh, and... You know, there are details here, Uh, the the big one being that a ton of the subscriber losses were in India, where Disney gave up the rights for Premier League cricket, which was really, really, really expensive. And the price to renew it was like double what they'd originally paid, which was already really expensive. So, you know, strategically, they did the math and the, you know, revenue per user in India is way, way lower than it is in other markets right now. They have to uh, really bargain price uh, uh, the service itself in a way where the cost of cricket wasn't paying for that. So they they argue that the revenue loss there is not as big as a 3 million subscriber loss makes it sound, and that, in fact, revenue is up thanks to ads. Gotta love ads.
1: Gotta love ads. Though revenue is probably not up as much as it would have been had they not lost Three million subscribers
0: Uh uh-huh they are they are definitely distracting from that mathematical fact they also raised prices for disney plus in most markets which helped make up for uh you know again subscriber loss so they're saying listen it's more about we're pricing the service appropriately for what it costs us which has been the big shift in in uh streaming company um you know, mark, you know, the marketing they give to investors and to, to the industry at large has really shifted in that direction of, no, no, we're not burning money in a pit anymore. We are trying to make money, we swear. Uh, and so in a way, OK, you can lose some subscribers if it balances the books. Uh, but I don't know if that's the I don't know if that's the message they wanted to go with. I think it's just the message they had.
1: Beyond just a bigger push for these ad tiers, I think that we might see another Disney Plus price increase in the next year.
0: Yeah, and which is, I, I think, maybe subtext of the combining uh, with Hulu in some mm-hmm. way. It gives them a new option to say, yeah, Disney Plus is getting more expensive, but for $3 more, you'll get Hulu as well. And it'll lessen the blow of a price increase. And if they get you into a bundle, then you might just kind of maintain the bundle, even if you're only engaging in one half of it. Maybe you're not watching Disney Plus for six months, but it's in your Hulu bundle, and so you just keep paying for the whole thing.
1: Maybe. That's the gamble, right?
0: That is the gamble. And they're not the only ones who want to gamble on the bundle. There was a little tidbit from uh, Warner Brothers Discoveries up front. David Zaslav says he's interested in more bundling with other streaming companies. And, And the tone of this quote really made it sound like he was saying we are not interested in buying another company but we would love to bundle with another company and the the subtext there is definitely NBC because the other rumors around like the ever-shifting fate of Comcast NBC and Hulu is that maybe Comcast doesn't want to own NBC Universal at all anymore and who could buy it from them well the most likely candidate would be HBO uh, Warner Brothers Discovery uh, and that is still financially a stress uh, for how much debt Warner Brothers Discovery Mm -hmm. has. So I sort of feel like this was David Zaslav saying to investors, uh, we're we're not at all interested in assuming the financial burden and regulatory burden of trying to acquire another massive media conglomerate. But we would love to be bundled with Peacock. You've got my number. Brian Roberts, give me a call.
1: Honestly, as a consumer, I don't hate that idea.
0: No, the more I think about it, I'm like... Peacock has network stuff. They have a back catalog of, you know, classic sitcoms and dramas. They have next day shows from NBC. So they cover your linear network needs. And then HBO, I'm sorry, Max, I'm, ne- I'm going to struggle with this for weeks. Max has your premium cable from HBO and then your basic cable from Discovery. And so together, they're like a mini entire television package with just, you know, only one network. Instead of three, three or four networks. But you know, at, at a certain point you kinda go, well, right now I really love The Office and I really love American Auto, and those are on NBC and Peacock, and so you know what? I'm gonna go with the the Peacock Max bundle. And then hopefully, you know, my roommate or my sister or my aunt gets the Disney Hulu bundle and I can log into that for Abbott Elementary.
1: All these hordes of Bupkiss fans. <laughs> are... <laughs> Are clamoring for this bundle.
0: That Peacock Max bundle. Peacock Max. Well, you know, you can already buy something called Peacock Premium Plus. So why not something called Peacock Premium Plus Max?
1: Max Cock?
0: Mmm, I'll subscribe to that Maxcock any day. Uh, but that is for a different podcast. The, the last little note on the, the Warner Brothers side of things, the Zaslav side, is uh, he really, really in the upfronts played up the HB, I'm sorry, again, the Max, the Max, just Max, the Max ad tier, which is called Max ad light as if it's like diet ads. Uh, and, and this is the exact quote. I just loved this quote. He, he to Like an audience of media professionals, industry professionals, he says, you know, quote, max ad light subscribers get all the same content as ad-free subscribers. See only three or four minutes of ads per hour and pages nine ninety nine a month. It sounds like an infomercial. Was he trying it to does. sell me like a pressure cooker?
1: Doesn't include shipping and handling. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true. It doesn't. You need to pay your ISP to ship and handle the data to your your home. (laughs) It's really true. So he's really putting in the sales pitch. And uh, uh, you know what? That's the move right now because Netflix is doing the exact same thing with their ad plan. They told uh, their investors that this is, again, really specific language. uh, Their ad-supported tier has attracted almost 5 million global monthly active users which is not the same thing as subscriber numbers. They, you know, one of the many issues in the the strike right now is that Netflix will not give out, you know, concrete numbers for things. And this is yet another example of, we won't tell you how many people are subscribed to the uh, ad tier on Netflix, uh, which of course is called basic with ads. But we will tell you we have about 5 million monthly active users on basic with ads. But they have also said that the number of ad tier subscribers has more than doubled since early this year. So again, a sense of math, but not the actual numbers to tell you what the math really equals.
1: You can't give out the numbers or people will know how much they're worth.
0: Can't have that. But you can tell them juicy tidbits like the average uh, median age for a basic with ad subscriber is
1: 34. Ooh. Love to be basic. I do think that uh, we might see that grow even further as they start more of the password crackdown. That's
0: they the implication. keep warning us, mm-hmm.
1: right? But hasn't really hit yet so if you start having to actually confront that you need to buy a new subscription
0: so what happens what happens when you have to confront that you might have to buy a new subscription do you go hey for seven dollars a month i can get netflix basic with ads or do you hear these tales of something called free ad supported tv or fast streaming i
1: think it's Free ad-supported streaming television?
0: Sure, why mm-hmm. not? It's, I, I just say fast and I put some words together and I go, it's free, it's ad-supported. I've wondered, does the S stand for supported? Because is it free ad dash supported or free ad space supported? TV or free ad streaming television? Oh, you'll never know. No one can ever know. So we better give it a cute name like Freevy. Freevy.
1: Yeah, Freevy.
0: Freebie! And that's what we're going to talk about as we get into this week's review. Starting before, you know, you worry about spoilers on a show you should not worry about spoilers on, we're going to start with a discussion of Freebie itself and our experience journeying into free, ad-supported streaming, fast television, uh, right now. Yeah, so we're talking about Jury Duty, a uh, show on FreeVee. And if you have not heard of FreeVee, it's also known as Amazon FreeVee. So that's your cue that it's just an Amazon thing. You probably have heard of it and you just don't realize. It's one of those. We've actually watched something on FreeVee previously when we watched the original Night Court. The original Night Court, uh, which we watched as part of our review of the reboot of Night Court. Where can you stream the original Night Court? Not NBC or Peacock, of course. That would be far. Are too simple. You can stream it with ads on Freevee.
1: I think Freebie used to be called IMDb TV. Yes, it did. Which is just a, too much of a mouthful.
0: Yeah, I first became aware of that because for a while, IMDb TV was the only place you could stream Mad Men for some reason. And, and I wanted to stream Mad Men without ads. I was looking for the place I could pay to stream Mad Men without ads. And they're like, no, you can only watch it on this like website that has ads that aren't inserted properly. So they cut off scenes. And I mean, the show originally had ads. There are ad breaks built into the show. Why can't you at least use those? So I came to Freebie as a skeptic. That's what I'm saying.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's more than fair. And I didn't find it as much in my viewing experience of jury duty. But other things I've seen on Freebie, I have been put off by the poor ad placement. It is a recurring problem.
0: Yeah, it's actually a recurring problem with a lot of fast streamers uh, because they are algorithmically kind of systematically just inserting the ad breaks. There isn't a human watching and manually inserting them unless it's an original. And in this case, Jury Duty is a freebie original. So its ad breaks are mm, beautifully curated.
1: There's also uh, Tubi or Pluto TV. Mm -hmm. So folks who aren't freebie watchers,
0: the Roku. Yeah, yeah. the the Roku, you know those exist. The, the, the fast is all around you whether you know it or not
1: right you may be watching fast mm-hmm. and not even know it uh <laughs>
0: Actually, in the case of Freevee, that's really possible because uh, a lot of Freevee content you can just watch in Prime Video. So you could be an Amazon Prime Video subscriber. This is actually how I watched the Night Court uh, reruns. They're they're in the Prime Video app. They just say that they're through Freevee, and there's some Freevee branding and ads. Whether you expect them or not, because you're watching Prime Video, you're like, oh, hello, ads, because it's freebie through Amazon Prime Video. But if you'd prefer a separate icon, because I just love another icon on my screen, you can download the dedicated Freebie app, which I did for jury duty because I wanted the full, you know, mm, freebie experience.
1: I will say there's something about a built-in ad break lowers the stakes of TV in a way that it didn't used to for me. When I think of how uh, TV shows were like structured around ad breaks and how you'd have a cliffhanger at the ad break and it would keep you watching. For me, it's almost the opposite. If I'm watching something with ads, I'm like, oh, great. I can run to the other room and get the next load of laundry to fold. You know, it just automatically makes it a a more chill viewing experience for me, which is a good fit for a show like Jury Duty, which I would call like I enjoyed it, but it's low stakes.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really fair review of Jury Duty. Are you looking for something a little more unusual or original than House Hunters while you fold your laundry? I have great news for you. Jury Duty is streaming now on Freebie.
1: I think it's fun and funny. To me, the The easy comparisons would be the TV show Impractical Jokers. Oh, yeah. And The Office, because there is this like mockumentary built in where into the structure and beyond our lead character, who we'll get to in a minute, Ronald Gladden, uh, everyone is a, a bit over the top.
0: Yeah, it, it, the, the concept here is that this one actual normal person, Ronald Gladden, is told that he is on a jury in L.A., but everyone else, including all the other jurors, the judge, the defendant, the lawyers, are all actors, all doing a bit, a really long extended bit where they are uh, faking a whole trial that is just full of weird antics in order to capture the— um, truly genuine-seeming and kind of affable reactions of Mr. Ronald Gladden.
1: Yeah, I think that they got really lucky with this casting. Uh, And I shouldn't say just lucky, because casting is obviously a skill. But you have this great bunch of like weird character actors. I do wonder how much TV Ronald watches, because I recognize three or four of them off the bat as um actors but uh (laughs) maybe that says more about how much tv i've been consuming but ronald doesn't seem to recognize any of them except for perhaps james marsden uh who plays himself and that's part of the joke of the show is that james marsden keeps expecting to get famous person treatment when uh everyone else is just treating him like another guy at jury duty
0: yeah, yeah. And that is maybe the like twist the show needs to hook you at the beginning, because otherwise it is a little high concept in in a certain way. It reminds me a bit of like Nathan Fielder and the rehearsal in that you ha- mm-hmm. you kind of have to get on board with all of these people are constantly in character doing something kind of weird uh For a stranger who doesn't know, like there is a layer of, you know, uh, impractical jokers is they play pranks on each other and they're little bits and Mm -hmm. it's more bite size. So so the barrier to entry there and understanding what's going on is a lot lower. So here I think they really cleverly balance this sort of high concept. Uh, idea with okay but also James Marsden who you've heard of is playing a goofy version of James Marsden who constantly is seeking attention for being James Marsden and one of the inciting incidents of the show essentially is he tries to get out of jury duty by inviting some paparazzi to like crash the voidir, dire and it results instead in the jury getting sequestered but then he gets out of the sequestration by paying for his own bailiff that takes him to and from his house every day thus breeding some animosity between him and the other jurors which is all done kind of very matter of factly, but in a way where obviously as the viewer, you're like, well, I know James Marsden's playing up a bit here. And And his ability to do that um, uh, very very effectively in a way that he's clearly uh, in on the joke and enjoying making fun of himself is the refreshing thing I needed to go like, okay, I can go along for for this kind of odd concept.
1: Totally. The other thing for me that really worked about it is that Ronald does not seem like he is the butt of the joke to me. Even though I am laughing at the dramatic irony of him not knowing, I don't think they make him look foolish. Everyone else looks crazy and he's the straight man. And it does kind of remind you of when you're, you know, at the DMV or dealing with any sort of clerical situation where you're like, I'm surrounded by crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) Am I the only one seeing this? Um, uh, And and he actually just comes off as this really great guy, which I think is the luck in casting. If he turned out to be kind of a jerk and I've only seen a few episodes, so he's very well still could. But I don't think so. I don't think that's where they're headed. If he turned out to be a jerk, the show would have a really darker tone that I don't think I'd care for.
0: Yeah, then it really would veer into being a Nathan Fielder <laughs> experience. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and no, this doesn't seem like it's going this way. Every, everything is a lighter version of that. Uh, the, the darkest thing they've played with in the two episodes I've watched so far is one of the jurors has like an unexpected fall. He has like an accident and like a box falls on him. And it's obviously all staged so that they'll have to pull in one of the alternates. But after this guy who we as the audience have had like zero interaction, with, he, he's like an extra basically. basically. Basically, from our perspective, the only dialogue we've seen this guy deliver is he goes to the bathroom and says to Ronald, I'm gonna go rub one out. And Ronald just like, you know, does what you would do if a stranger you were stuck at like a work environment with said something like that. He's like, okay, I guess while you have time. Yeah. And and so then this is the guy who leaves because of a horrible health scare. And they cut to like the panel interview, because, again, this is all framed like they're doing a documentary about this jury experience. And so all the other jurors are saying how this guy was the most wonderful man who shared these life stories and he made them all little origami cranes and they're all taking out their origami cranes. But Ronald doesn't have one because the only interaction Ronald had with this man is, I'm going to go rub one out. And so the producers of the the uh, you know, the fake producers of the fake documentary uh, say to Ronald, you know, oh, Ronald, you know, what were your experiences with him? And, you know, in editing, the show cuts back to our only shot of him to remind us that's the experience Ronald had with him. And then they cut to Ronald's face as he just goes... You know, we we met and chatted, but not much. We didn't get a chance to really know each other. He seemed nice.
1: See, that's just, a, Ronald is a solid person. <laughs>
0: I just, the, 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 that level of like, it's cringy, but not at Ronald's expense. Instead, no. I'm thinking, oh my God, I feel like I've had an experience like that where I'm in that seat and everyone's like, don't you have something heartfelt to share? And I'm like, no, in fact, I, I didn't have that experience at all. But I realize now is not the time.
1: No, no. I think he made the right decision there.
0: Too, I, and and they they in the first again couple of episodes that I've watched, they build up little moments like that where we then get to enjoy his reaction, and that's the punchline. He's not the punchline; his reaction, which is very understandable, relatable, draws you in. And so there is it. it Does there are moments in this show that do make my skin crawl because they're a little awkward, and he doesn't know, but. He's never the butt of it. And so eventually it, it warms me. You know, I, I struggled to watch the first episode. I, I had to pause it a few times because I, I just wasn't sure I could go along for a whole season of this concept. But as I, I warmed up to the tone they're going for, I found like, yeah, I, I you know, he's somebody who I kind of just want to hang out with, I guess.
1: He is. And some of the other characters on the show, while they are a bit larger than life, have, like, a sweetness and an endearing quality to them. Um, one of my favorites is the transhumanist character yeah. who's really interested in having, like, devices implanted on his body, which is not a character you see on TV all that often. And uh, he just keeps getting in really ridiculous scenarios where, like, he's installed uh, a chair, like, chair lifts into his pants. <laughs> <laughs> He had, an ear. Silly. he had an this ear isn't... attached
0: to his phone, like a, a prosthetic <laughs> oh, yeah. ear that freaked out the bailiff. Uh, the only thing about those character moments that strikes me just as an odd experience as a viewer is when they happen completely out of Ronald's sight. Like there are entire character bits that happen without Ronald being present that are just between two of the actors playing the other jurors. And I find that a little strange because th- that's for me, the viewer, but the show isn't really about their stories as much as it's about Ronald's story being on this jury with these oddballs. Um, And it's not enough to take me out of it, but it is funny to to have these moments where I'm like, is this a a lighthearted sitcom or is this a prank show? It's both, but it is an interesting blend.
1: It really is. I think for that reason, and uh, the, the critic at The Atlantic made the same point that I'm going to make, but we came to it independently, <laughs> um, is that I think that this show is actually really brilliant in its structure, but I do not think that it should have a second season.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't know what you would do except reboot the concept and do it differently in some way.
1: Right. It couldn't be a jury again. What could it be? But also, I mean, it has gotten a fair amount of buzz. Would you have someone who'd be like, you know, prepared for it, ready to get punked in this new way? I don't know. I just think I think it needs to stay as like one limited series um, instead of I I doubt that that will be the case because it's been one of Freebie's first kind of breakout hits. But we'll see.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can instantly imagine just doing international versions, uh, which uh, for all I know is already happening because you could just spin it to different countries and different jury systems and, and you know, the, uh, if Freebie isn't uh, hit over there yet, great, they haven't heard of it. Uh, but, but I do agree. Like, I don't know how you do it again without tipping your hand to the participant or without it feeling samey for the audience. I don't know what's different enough to be the same show, but fresh and new.
1: And you realize that over the course of the episodes, it's going to have to get a little bit zanier and zanier. And there's going to be a point at which too much zaniness will just make it implausible that that whoever the Ronald is doesn't believe it. right? Right. Like, how do you keep escalating? And I'm curious to see how they thread that needle. Like, I wonder if any of those moments that you caught where you were saying, oh, I noticed that Ronald's not in this scene. Is this just for me? will be something, will be related to something that Ronald encounters later. Yeah, or it's, it's, if those are just independent moments, who knows? Yeah.
0: Right. To fill out the 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. Both thoughts occurred to me. Both thoughts.
1: Mm-hmm. Though really it is only, I think it's like 24 minutes with, because of the ad breaks. It, yeah. It's, and, it's the, a and the ad breaks fast. are pretty light.
0: Yeah. It's a fast, fast show. It's fast
1: on fast. Fly
0: by. And you can watch it on Amazon Freevee. That's our pitch for uh, jury duty on Freevee, Or you could watch it on Prime Video, I guess, uh, if you refuse to acknowledge the Freevee branding, which is admittedly very neon.
1: It is. Uh, it's it's uh, not the subtlest.
0: No, no. But when you're trying to draw attention to your fast, your breakthrough fast show, you don't go for subtle.
1: And it's certainly not a subtle show.
0: No. Nope. On brand. On brand. Uh, and what else can you watch on Freebie? Well, you can watch uh, old episodes of Night Court. You can apparently watch every Justin Timberlake rom-com that has ever been created, which uh, is triggering because it, it all just feels like a, a lot of movie trailers I saw in my teens on repeat that I blocked out.
1: Starting uh, tomorrow, as of our recording on May 18th, starting tomorrow, May 19th, they are going to be streaming the new Mike Schur sitcom. Uh, Fans of Mike Schur might know his work from The Office, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Good Good Place. Place. The Good Place. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, And uh, he's created... Primo with Shea Serrano, um, the amazing writer. So I, I'm really excited for that show. I think it'll be kind of a throw, throwback sitcom. Um, and that's coming to Freevee because ABC passed. So maybe we'll see more interesting content like that. Find its home on these fast channels.
0: Uh, Honestly, I'm all for it. And as we look for uh, new things to fill our scripted streaming diets going forward, uh, you know, now is a good time to explore the wondrous world of free, ad-supported, streaming, fast television.
1: (laughs) Now's the time.
0: If there are any fast shows you're watching or want us to watch, email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. But until then, with all these options and so much more, do you know what you need to do, Diane? Keep streaming. Keep streaming. Yeah, we said the good place in unison. Without trying, we'll never get it as good as that. But we'll keep trying to keep Keep streaming. streaming.
1: Writers. Strike!
0: I don't know if that's the message they wanted to go with. I think it's just the message they had.